The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. I wanted to remind you all of what we do in Sunday school in case you're a visitor. I know we have at least one visitor. Um, we either do a practical theme from the Bible, we go through confessions of faith, we survey books of the Bible, we do church history, and then now we've added every fifth Sunday we do a pastor's forum, which I believe is coming up in a couple weeks, where you can send in your questions, send them to Pastor Kennecott, and the pastors will sit up here and try to answer your questions. And those have been really helpful and, and useful, at least for me, to um, get impromptu answers to your questions. So be sure to send those questions to Pastor Kennecott if you ha have any for our pastor's forum. A um, couple of weeks ago, I did a survey of one of the books of the Bible, Judges. And as I was reading through the book of Judges, preparing for that survey, my heart got knitted to uh, Deborah and Jael. Uh, in chapter four and five of Judges. So today I'm here to share a practical theme from the Bible, but we're gonna go back to Judges and get our data from Deborah and, and Jail in chapter four and chapter five. So while they're getting that ready, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our Lord's day today. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, what a, what a privilege to, to know you, to be able to have access to your throne of grace. We thank you for setting this day aside for us, that six days we should labor, and that we keep the Sabbath holy to you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for ordaining it for our good. We're so weak and we're so forgetful that if we didn't have this day, surely it would be disasters for us spiritually. We thank you for it. We thank you for the promises that you've attached to this day, that when we gather as your people, that you've promised to be in our midst. We pray that we would sense your presence today. We pray that you would help all the teachers in all the classes and that you'd bless the preaching today, this morning and this evening. We need you. We're nothing without you. We thank you for your son and for the gospel and we pray that you would help us to glorify him in our hearts today and through our teaching and preaching. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you guys, appreciate it. We just switched over our email from Outlook to Google and um, and you know everyone's got their interests. Some are Apple, Mail, some are Google, some are Outlook, it's all over the place. And some were happy with the switch and some were sad, but it creates some difficulties sometimes. The bugs, yep. Um, before I forget, I wanted to mention that um, tonight, pastor or former pastor, uh, dean of the seminary, uh, Dr. Bob Gonzalez is gonna be preaching a Christmas message, and it's a dark Christmas message. And um, I'll just let you peruse over that and, and wonder what that might be, be about. But I wanna encourage everyone to come this evening, and if you see visitors today, 
or if you see some people that maybe uh, are not members or they're members, but for whatever providential reasons, they often can't come on Sunday evening, I wanna encourage you to encourage them to come tonight. Um, I'm excited to hear that message about a dark Christmas. So we'll, we'll look forward to that, Dr. Gonzalez, wherever you are. There you are, okay. Um, we, you know, I, I, I wanna take a minute too. Um, it's, re- it's a real honor and privilege to have Dr. Gonzalez with us. I don't wanna embarrass him, but two men that I esteem greatly, Pastor Smith and Pastor Kennecott, had quoted another man who was a scholar in Old Testament Hebrew and Old Testament theology, and that person told them that Dr. Gonzalez is one of the top Old Testament scholars in the, in the country. And what a, what a blessing to have him in our midst to be able to teach and preach from time to time. I don't say that to puff you up or embarrass you, but um, I've enjoyed taking his Hebrew class. It, for me, it's like chewing on rocks. But, but I've enjoyed it, and I'm learning bit by bit. But he is a real treasure to have here, and um, I just want to encourage you to come tonight and hear that message on Christmas. So let's move on. So this was just kind of a fun slide. I was thinking about what am I gonna call this message? It's a practical theme, but I'm going back to Judges. What is the practical theme? And as Pastor Smith was preaching last week, he did a sermon on holy war. And really that was kind of the theme that was in my mind, the spiritual warfare that that we have against our enemies that's constant. And of course, in the time of Judges, they battled against the Philistines and the Canaanites and all the all the ites and the tites and the, all the pagans that they were supposed to um, defeat and push out, either conquer, kill, and remove them, but they didn't. They didn't obey the Lord, and they had um, disastrous results. But as I was thinking about this, I was, I was talking to my wife, like, what, what, what should I call the lesson? I thought of, you know, rhyming things, faith-filled females fighting for the glory of God. Girls gone godly in a state of godlessness. Women, women willing to war for God. Lovely ladies living fearlessly for God's purpose. And warrior wives in a world of wantonness or decadence. And Judges was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the scripture tells us. And these two women God raised up to accomplish his will, his faithful covenant plan that he had for his people, and he raised up Deborah in jail. So we wanna look at that today. You know, women are exalted and, and, and kind of raised up in the Bible. And I just was making a list uh, off the top of my head, and I'm sure you can think of others, but Sarah, Miriam, the sister of Moses, you know, putting him in, in the river, Rachel and Ruth, Hannah, who poured out her soul before the Lord, and God gave her a son, Samuel, to be raised up in the fear of the Lord. She said, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Abigail, uh, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, who hid Joash, who is the only uh, line left from the seed of David, 
because all the other ones had been killed and she was courageous to hide. Uh, Joash, Esther, who saved all of the Jews. Uh, God saved all of the Jews through Esther. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I was reading over the, Magnific- the Magnificat and I thought we would read it, but we don't have time. But what, a, what an amazing prayer that she wrote there. And also Hannah as well. If you look up Hannah in, um, in Samuel. And there's many more. That's a short list. But God has made it a point to use women in a, in a special way. And, and I think there's a danger, even in Reformed circles, there's a danger to misinterpret a complementarianism where the head, you know, the, the husband is the head of the home, and there's, there's a way to, to misunderstand that and misapply that that um, is very dangerous. And I think God has made it clear that women are made in the image of God, that they're equal before God in their value and in their worth, but, but there's different roles. And as we look at Deborah today, who was a judge and a prophetess, and we look at Jael, who's gonna do something that men do at war, and she did something very, very uh, drastic. Um, We don't want to take it too far and say, look, here's evidence that women should be preachers, but we also don't want to uh, downplay it and say, well, this is happening because the men weren't stepping up, and since the men weren't stepping up, God broke all of his rules and used a woman. I was reading one of the commentaries, and um, they mentioned, well, that, that really isn't the case. It's, it wasn't about qualified women and unqualified men because he said most of the judges were not really qualified men. <laughs> they were, a lot of them were immoral. If you look through the judges, they were not, they were not, um, uh, they were not moral men. So as we move on, I wanna remind you of this pattern that's all through the book of Judges this uh, apostasy and rebellion against God and forgetting God and forgetting his word and then God brings an oppressor, uh, an oppressor to discipline them and then they repent and they're delivered and then they have a time of rest. So these are just th- uh, three different ways to show that pattern. And God is faithful to his covenant promises. He delights to save his people and often uses severe serious trials to stir up and out of our self, to stir us up out of our self-contented smugness, pride, sloth, thoughtlessness, selfishness, and blatant sinful disobedience. Without God intervening in our lives and disciplining us, we would go astray and stay astray. We need his influence, we need his spirit, we need his word, we need his grace. And that's what God's teaching us through these cycles in the book of Judges. I think God is preparing us, not only for heaven, but preparing us for events that are gonna happen in our lives that if we don't, if we're not fortified by his grace and fortified by his discipline, then when those trials come, we're gonna be hurting in, 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 a, in a drastic way. We need to rely on God. 
And we need to not forget God. Basically, what I'd like to, how I'd like to use our time, the brief time that we have, as we think about fighting this holy war, is look at the context of Deborah and Jael. In chapter four of Judges, it spends a lot of time looking at the place, the time, and the people, and giving us hints, even before the narrative of what happens. So we wanna look at the context, we wanna look at the actions of Deborah and Jael, and what might have been going through their minds, and then look at God's gracious covenant intervention for his people, and then draw out some practical lessons from Deborah and Jael. So first I wanted to talk about the place, okay, Israel. And I, I just thought this was a powerful slide because it shows us the size of Israel compared to Florida. The, 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 those cartographers that study geography say that about six Israels can fit inside the state of Florida. And it's important to know that because we're gonna be looking at different places where Jerel was, where Barak was, where Sisera was, where, where King Jabin was. And I want you to see how tightly co compacted it is. And so we're, like, when we look at where Deborah was and where Jael was, it would be like from here to Jupiter. But when we, when we see Israel by itself, sometimes we think it's a lot larger than it really is. I tried to put Palm Beach County there. I don't know if that's accurate. I, there, it doesn't have Lake Okeechobee, which would have been helpful, but. So you see how small it is. You know, as we think about what's happening over there, bombs coming over from Gaza and the terrorists right on their border, you can imagine, it's not like, it's not like the United States where it's far away. It's, the whole country's impacted. So there's a, uh, showing the time where she, she was. She's early in the, um, in the Judges. Deborah comes early in chapter four. And the time of the Judges is approximately 300 years. It probably stretches more to 400 or 450 years if you include Eli and Samuel and you go back to Joshua maybe when they first, but it's somewhere in there. But I think it's important for us to know that we're, what we're about to look at is real history. When I was teaching history in the, in the class at the high school, I would tell the kids that there's people alive, now this is back in the 1990s, I said there's people alive today in the 1990s that actually spoke to people that were in the Civil War. And they were like, what, how, how did that, you know? Well, if you, if you have a 93-year-old man in 1993 and you have a 58-year-old man, then you see the connection there. And you can go back and this really, it's a long time ago, but when you think of it, it's real history and we have real records of it. And so it's not something that we just think of that's not real. This is authentic history that we're looking at. Here's the timeline that I used a couple weeks ago when we looked at Judges. So you can see Moses, Joshua, Caleb, and then this period of the Judges, and then we come out of that with Samuel and then uh, Saul, David, Solomon, and so forth. If you would, please open up to Judges. This quote here 
says, now Deborah, this is from chapter four, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So here she is, sitting under a palm tree, judging Israel. Now we don't have a lot of information. <laughs> you know, the, the, this, a lot of these stories in Judges just gives you the bare facts. And the Lord could have given us more, but there's certain, uh, there's certain lessons that we're to draw out of it. And we don't, wanna, we don't wanna have too much conjecture here, but just the fact that it says, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment, tells us that she was a wise woman, that she had knowledge, she had wisdom, perhaps she had uh, exposure to the word of God, at least the word of God that was recorded up to that time, and she was a prophet. So God spoke to her and she spoke to the people God's word. She was a prophet and she was a judge. She came, people came to her to get counsel they wanted her counsel. At this time, by and large, the men were not obedient to God. They were not driving out the people. They were assimilating with the people. They were worshiping idols. And we'll, t- we'll look at that in just a moment. Matter of fact, take a look at Judges chapter one. And I just want to remind you of what we have at the beginning of Judges here. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory and Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. So there you have two tribes cooperating with God to ex- expel these Canaanites, these pagans. But then when we come to chapter two, if you look at chapter two, look at chapter two, verse one. It says, the angel of the Lord came up to Gilgal, to Bochum, and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitant of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bacham, which means weeping. So this angel of the Lord is talking in the first person, and all the commentators, that are worth their salt, say this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. 
Whenever you have an angel like Gabriel or a different angel that speaks to the sons of men, they never speak in the, in the first person. Matter of fact, if they're mistaken as God, the angel rebukes them and say, no, don't call me God. But in this incident, it says, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. So this is, this is, this is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity speaking to these people and they've disobeyed him, and he's going to use the pagans to discipline them because he loves them and he cares for them, and he doesn't want them to continue to drift and, and, and be led astray and become apostate. So he's faithful to them. Look at verse 11. When the, ch- when the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, <clears throat> and they forsook the Lord the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Baal was the supreme God in ancient Canaan. He was known as the storm god. He was usually depicted holding a raised lightning bolt. His partner in crime was Ashereth or Asherah and was the chief female deity and was represented by a carved pole or limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. Baal and Asherah are often mentioned together in the scriptures. Sometimes Baal is mentioned with the goddess Ashtoreth, which we have here, who in Canaanite mythology was closely related to Asherah and may have been for a time considered the same goddess. All of them were fertility gods and their worship rites involved sexual perversion. After the death of Joshua, the worship of Baal and Asherah became a plaguing and perennial problem in Israel. It didn't take long in the very next generation after Joshua, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Later, God told the judge Gideon to clean house. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Judges 6.25. Again, in the days of Jephthah, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Judges 10.6. We must kill our sins or our sins will kill us. These are God's people who had his law, who had ancestors that had been taken out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And God did miraculous things for them. Well, let's move on. I wanted to share with you the key people of the story before we look at it. The first one there, if you look at the top of the map, you've got Barak, the commander of Israel's army, and he's in Kadesh in the north there. So that Barak is the one that fights at Deborah's command. Deborah calls him to get his troops ready, and he's afraid. He says, I'll only go up if you go with me. He lacked faith. 
And Deborah didn't lack faith because she had the word of God given to her and she gave it to Barak. She believed it, Barak didn't. But Barak is in the hall of fame in Hebrews. God gives him credit because he did take the troops and to fight Sisera, the um, military leader of the Canaanites. So he did finally obey, but Deborah had to go with him to encourage his faith. But it shows us how gracious God is even when we waver in our faith, our obedience, which is even mixed with sin, he delights in it. He delights in it. Then you have Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and you can see Hazor there on the map. Now, Jabin was not a king over the Canaanites, but he was a king of a local area, and they call him king because he, was, he allied all of the pagans together and brought them out to war. So they called him the king. Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army at Heresheth Hagoim, and you can see where Sisera is there, uh, towards the Mediterranean Sea over there by the river um, Kishon. Then you have Mount Tabor. This is the place Barak is gonna deploy 10,000 troops. I tried to make a little brown uh, triangle there so you could see the mountain. Then you've got the Kishon River which becomes critical in this story. Then you've got Deborah the prophetess, the wife, the wife of Lapidoth, she was judging Israel at that time, and you see uh, where she was there near Bethel. So let's look at the story together now, and then we'll draw out some lessons. Look at chapter four of Judges, and follow with me. There's 24 verses, and, and I'm gonna read them straight through, and then we'll talk about some of the lessons that we can draw from this story. And you, you can gaze at, you know, as I, as I read through the different places, you can look up on the map and see where they are. When Ehud was dead, that was the other judge. Remember Ehud from last time? He's the one that stuck that, that uh, left-handed guy that stuck the blade right through the fat king, Eglon, and killed him for God's glory. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Heresheth Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And, and for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now, I've been told by the commentators that the chariots of iron were rare. It was rare for any people to have chariots of iron, especially that many. It would be like having tanks today and fighting an enemy that did not have tanks. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulon and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon and I will deliver him into your hand. So this is the word of the Lord that she's speaking to Barak, the military commander. So she said, I will surely 
I'm sorry, and Barak said to her, quote, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, that, that could be a banner over the time of the judges where the men were assimilating and practicing idolatry and not honoring God. But, it, but at least he says, I will go. I know you're close to God. I know you believe him, but if you come with me, I'll go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. These are other tribes. He went up with 10,000 men under his command and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, now, now we switch gears here. We have a different scene. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Heresheth Hagoim to the river of Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Bef into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heresheth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For, her, for there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned inside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink from thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan.
So I wanted to highlight a few things that's hinted at in chapter four, that's opened up in chapter five, which we don't have time to read. Chapter five is a song by Deborah and Barak about the victory and what God had done. And it adds more details to the narrative that we just read. And one of the details that it adds is that God sent down rain and flooded the Kishon. And all the 900 chariots were stuck in the mud. And, the, and, and it made them sitting ducks for those 10,000 soldiers. We learn that in chapter five. It's alluded to in chapter four. And we also learn something in chapter five, this, these details that's alluded to in chapter four. Here we see that some of the tribes are commended for uniting and fighting with their brothers of Israel. Naphtali, Zebulon, Benjamin, Issachar, Ephraim, and half of Manasseh. The half of Manasseh that was on the west side. And then in chapter five, these, these tribes are called out. Reuben, Gad, half of Manasseh on the east side, Dan and Asher are called out for not joining with their brethren. And then Judah and Simeon are not mentioned. They're down by by the Philistines occupied with fighting them. And so the commentators think that maybe they're not mentioned for that reason. But one of the lessons here is we saw at the beginning where the two tribes came together and were able to have victory. And here we see unity and cooperation and brothers helping one another. And other brothers are are called out by God. Other tribes are called out by God by sitting on their hands and not participating in the holy war. God has created us to be in community. He's created us to be in families and and to be in communities and to be in our church. And we have brothers and sisters that need us. And sometimes we need our brothers and sisters. And we need to be looking, have our head on a swivel and be looking out to help those in need because one day we're gonna be in need. And this is what God has ordained for us so that we be well cared for, that we come to each other's aid in times of trouble. Isolation is a big problem in the United States. It's a big problem. Our phones are wonderful tools that bring many conveniences, but they also create deadheads and they isolate us from one another. And they fill our minds with all kinds of idolatry. I want us to think for a moment about the contrast between Barak and Jael's decisiveness. We looked at Barak, but look at Look at verse 18 in chapter four. It says that, um, it says in verse 18, and Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside my Lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then Then he said to her, please give me a little drink. And then in verse 21 and 22 we read, Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down. 
into the ground, for he was fast asleep. If you read through chapter five, you learn that Sisera was not unfamiliar with raping women and taking women as a prize when he would conquer one of the towns. We see that here. So the fact that jail a woman would put a tent peg through his, through his skull, surely he was being judged by God for raping women, pillaging women, and, and not honoring God and rejecting God. And God used jail to bring judgment upon him. You know, a lot of commentators, they say, well, you know, even though jail did a bad thing, God still uses bad things. And, and I'm, you know, I, we, we hear Deborah prophesying about this event. And I don't think, I, I think it's hard for us in America to relate to the situation there that they were in. That they had terrorists all around them. They were beginning to assimilate with some of them, but others were faithful, like Deborah, and like Jael. And God raised them up and used them in a time that they were needed. But notice Barak's hesitation and Jael's immediate obedience. She, 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 she went to the towers as they were falling. She didn't run away from them, like those firemen on 9-11. She had courage. She had faith. And Barak was like, uh, he's got 900 chariots. And of course, we struggle with our faith, don't we? We have, we have challenges. All of us have different challenges. Some of us lose our jobs. Some of us go through a divorce that was not predicted. Some of us lose a loved one. Some of us have been single for way too long. And God wants us to trust him. He's intervening in the affairs of men. He's a covenant-keeping God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what I need. And every trial and every difficulty we go through is ordained by him. He's not the author of evil, but he's the God of Romans 8, 28. He was then and he is now. There's a lot written about jail. Even though there's, I mean, there's very little written about her in the Bible, but there's a lot written about her in in the worldly literature. All kinds of conjectures about her. Christians don't want to jive with a woman grabbing a tent peg and, and putting it through his head. But are we gonna be more complementarian than God is? I'm a complementarian. I believe that, that men, uh, men have leadership role in the marriage, that they're the head of their wife. And Pastor Smith had mentioned that nowhere in the Bible does it command the man to be the head of the wife. It just states it as an indicative It never commands it, just states it as an indicative. It's what God has ordained. But you're not to take out your badge and say, hey woman, obey me. No, you're to love her like Christ loved the church. You're to be tender with her and lead her and bring her to the word and pray with her. But I don't, like we're not supposed to get our doctrine from narrative. 
We get our doctrine from didactic teaching, like the epistles. This narrative that we just read, we don't, we don't get our doctrine from it. We learn from it, but there's a lot of Christians that say we need to have women teachers and preachers because look at Deborah. Well, nowhere does, it, does this contradict what we read in the New Testament where God has given roles for the men and the women, complementary roles. Their worth is equal, and God raises these women up and makes us scratch our head, but it, it shows women, you should be encouraged. There's so many women in the Bible that God raises up and uses in mighty ways. I like this one because you can see Barak in the background with the armies coming in as they were, they were chasing Sisera and he was asleep in the tent there. We don't have time, but I wanted to just let you know that this idea of crushing someone's skull is written back in Genesis 3.15, and I put the verse there. After Adam and Eve sinned, God intervened. Right after they sinned, immediately after they sinned, he went and he had a talk with the devil, and he said this to the devil, and I will put enmity, that is hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, speaking to the devil, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And my understanding is that word bruise is also crushed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Speaking of the cross, that Satan, the seed of Satan, will bruise your heel, but the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, will crush your head. And where did Jesus crush the head of Satan? On the cross, bleeding out, dying for us. That's holy war humiliating himself, becoming a man, and dying in our place. But this idea of crushing the head is typified and shadowed all through the Old Testament. You can look at it in these passages that I have on the left and on the right. The verbiage is crushed head under my feet or under my foot or licking the dust. We see that over and over and over again in the Old Testament, typified, and then we see it fulfilled in Christ and alluded to by the Apostle Paul as he writes his letters. And then that's what happened at the cross, but it's gonna be completed. The, 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 the devil's end is gonna be completed when Christ returns. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority. He's already accomplished the mission. The head's been crushed but he's gonna be cast into hell forever at his second coming. And this is, this is for our benefit. All scripture is inspired by God for us to feed upon. And we're in such a wonderful place, aren't we? Because we can look back and see it promised in the garden, see it foreshadowed in the Old Testament, see it fulfilled at the cross, and know for sure by faith that it's coming. He's coming again. And we have nothing to fear if we go through a divorce if we lose a loved one, if God doesn't bring us a spouse, he's in control, we can trust him. Amen? Well, I, I really blew up my time management today. But um, these were some practical lessons I wanted to talk about, but I'm just gonna read them and then we'll close in prayer. Five practical lessons from Judges chapter four and five. The necessity to engage in the good fight of spiritual warfare 
Understanding the militant nature of the Christian life, our enemies are vigilant and real. The devil, the flesh, and the world. The necessity to believe God's word, trusting he's active in the affairs of his church and in your individual Christian life. Barak was weak in faith. Deborah and Jael excelled in faith. Number three, the necessity to join in with the people of God, to take care for and fight with one another. Pursuing God's mission for the church, advancing his kingdom in humble love to God and man. Number four, know and apprehend God is faithful to his covenant promises. He delights to save his people and often uses severe, serious trials to stir us up and out of our self-contented smugness. Engage in expectant and thankful prayer and praise for the glory of God. And then I added one, men, step up and fulfill your God-given role to be a leader. And we won't take the time, but maybe this afternoon if you have an opportunity, you can read um, verses 10 through, I think it's uh, 10 through 18 on putting on the full armor of God to fight this war, this spiritual warfare. And it talks about principalities. It talks about evil darkness that's all around us, but we don't see it. And we have to fight this holy war every day. Amen? Well, let's pray and we'll worship God together. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder from Deborah and from Jael that in the new covenant, we also fight a holy war against our own flesh and against the world and against the devil. We pray that you would help us to remember that we battle not against flesh and blood and that we need to put on the whole armor of God. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would bless our worship and that you would get much glory and honor through our worship and through the preaching. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.